Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Okay, here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. David Summers hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now, we step back into the ring and back into time. We get hooked up with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. What's going on, Ron? Oh, nothing much, my man. Uh, nice day here. Uh, beautiful, beautiful weather. Uh, that we, last night was in the 60s, you know, uh, and uh, highs in the high 70s. Wow, in August. I mean, it, it makes me think back on Florida and uh, about the humidity alone. Uh, you know, geez, no yeah. humidity. Mm-hmm. Wow, just beautiful, man. Yeah. I've forgotten how nice it is, how beautiful it is here, man, this time of year. Yeah, here with only about two and a half miles as the crow flies from the WTVY old studios, the original studios you know so well. 91 degrees now, and we'll be lucky if we get 75 overnight tonight. Okay. Oh, boy. I'm just saying. Well, well, I feel bad for you. That's all yeah. I can say. Uh, we'll get over it eventually, and as my old buddy used to say, oh, it'll be fall before you know it. Oh, shut up. Just shut up. All right, listen, Stud, I tell you what, there's so much happening now in every Stud cast. I can hardly wait to see the title for the next one. Cards in both territories have been very strong and filled with some really great talent. Episode 263's title is Tennessee Loser Leaves Gulf Coast Karate Match. So what's the code for this one? Well, I guess there is kind of a little code there in, in a way. So, you know, obviously, there are great cards in both the territories on this studcast, man. Uh, and my brother, Rob, uh, they all explained the Tennessee loser leave. My brother, Rob, was in the loser leave match with Don Carson in southeastern Knoxville. That was on Friday night, August the 4th, 1978, man, 44 years ago. And uh, Bob Armstrong, just four days later, and that event was in Mobile, Alabama on Tuesday night, August the 8th. And uh, he was in a southeastern Gulf Coast NWA non-sanctioned karate match against my new protege, man, the United States karate champion, Ron Slinker. So, uh, you know, that was only one of the main events on each of those great cards, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were filled with main events and filled with great guys, great talent. Uh and they were both those events taking place just four days apart. And the big news, and I guess the big difference in what we normally do in describing the TVs for listeners is that the TV promoting the Knoxville card 
This is the show that we're going to be talking about. It was recorded on, on July the 29th, 1978. And it's the only surviving Southeastern TV show from the company mm-hmm. between 1974 and 1979. Yeah. So listeners have the opportunity for the first time to see one of those unique Southeastern TV shows that won awards is the best wrestling TV show in America. Wow. You know, you told listeners all about where it was going to be available on the last studcast, Ron. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. That's your streaming channel. Of course, hopefully, everybody that wanted to see it has and knows much of what was what was on it. But if not, they can still see it for absolutely free. All they do is go to ClassicContinentalWrestling.com, sign up, a one-week free trial, and you get to see as much as you want during that one week's time. You can also subscribe, if you like, to grow with the streaming channel yourself for only $4.99, $4.99 per month, or knock it all out at one time, $39.99 per year. You save a tremendous amount of money by doing it that way. So where are we writing this week, Stud? What we got going on? Well, we're starting out in southeastern Knoxville with a fantastic card, man, of Friday, August the 4th, 1978, in the Chihai Park Amphitheater. And uh, we're going to still cover uh, that TV, uh, even though a lot of people have already seen the actual TV itself. And because of that, we're probably not going to cover it in quite as much detail as we do all the TVs normally. Uh, But we'll also talk about, obviously, the results of the matches. From that show, and we'll talk about the attendance. And uh, and I got a funny, uh, funny little story, man, about uh, Don Carson uh, that I want to throw into this episode. And actually, uh, he was a little upset with his uh, new bald head, man, and uh, after his loss to my brother in the hair versus hair match from the last studcast, as a matter of fact. So uh, seeing that 1978 Southeastern show, and I went back and watched it again, man. It was so good. Uh, and, and it's the one we just talked about a second ago. It brought back a memory of me of a comment, a lady at hotel clerk at a hotel we were checking into in Dothan, Alabama, <laughs> comment she made that just, wow, <laughs> it, it ruined his day and it made my day. <laughs> And then we're going to ride south, 500 miles, southeastern Gulf Coast. We've got another great Mobile, Alabama card. And we're going to discuss the TV and down there in that territory and the results of the card and the attendance there. And, uh, and then there was something very unusual happening on Saturday night, August the 5th, 1978. And I didn't even think about this until a couple of days ago, but mm-hmm. I was promoting an event that I had never seen before. <laughs> Uh, in Dothan, Alabama, the night after our regular matches there. And I called it the Wiregrass Tough Man Contest. Mm-hmm. So we're going to find out just how good a promoter I was, man. <laughs> so then hopefully if we got enough time, uh, we're going to shoot for uh, getting another learning tree question on at the end of this one. All right. You can bet I got some questions coming up about a, an event that you promoted and that you you got behind that you had never even seen before so listen um i may be asking what the hell were you thinking all right but this same week 44 years ago and you've never seen one of these so that's coming up in the show i can't wait to hear about that i'm saddled up now and more ready than ever to ride into this studcast so what was the card for knoxville friday august 4th 1978 
Well, newcomer Steve Kyle opened the night against the returning gorgeous George Jr. Uh, Rip Smith faced off against the big German from Australia, Hans Schroeder. He's a guy that I wrestled many times in Australia in 1973 in the months that I was there. And, uh, and he always told me uh, when I was there, he said, someday I'm coming to America and I'm going to wrestle uh, in the south from where you're from. And so uh, he finally showed up five years later. And, uh, wow, he was blown away to find out that uh, he wasn't just wrestling with me. He was wrestling for me now that I own my own wrestling company. Mm-hmm. So then Kevin Sullivan had a return match with the great Malenko that had a great match the week before. The Mongolian Stomper, managed by Don Carson, defended his Southeastern title against Ronnie Garvin for the first time since June of 1978. Then Ron Wright presented Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson again, and their belts were on the line again against Jimmy Golden and Bob Root. Uh, Hair was at stake again, too, but uh, this time... It wasn't Jimmy's hair. It wasn't uh, somebody else's hair or the four that were in the ring. It was Jimmy's father's hair. That uh, His father's name was Bill Golden, and Bill had secretly put up his own hair <laughs> to get his son and Bob Roop one last opportunity at winning the belts. Wow. And if they lost, Bill Golden's head was going to be the second one shaved in eight days. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. So the main event is a loser leaf Southeastern match. No DQ, no time limit. There had to be a winner. Robert Fuller seconded by Rip Smith versus Don Carson, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. All right, so that's a pretty interesting card, Stud. Sullivan versus Malenko, two Southeastern title matches, one of which was involving the possible loss of somebody's hair that wasn't even in the ring, and a loser leave Southeastern match. I watched the TV show on ClassicContinentalWrestling.com, and listen, I got to tell you, to me, it was just as loaded with new technology as it was filled with great wrestlers. So let's talk about that, 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 the one and only still existing TV show that promoted this card. Okay, so let's start with the wrestling part of that TV. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, when, then when we finish that, let's, I'll spend a few minutes explaining that, that new technology that you noticed uh, because it was new. It had never been done before on television wrestling shows anywhere in the world at this point. And uh, we were the only ones using it. And, it was our, and our wrestling TV show was selected the best in the world uh, two or three years in a row wow. in the 70s. So as I said earlier, I will not go into the usual depth I do about describing the wrestling uh, in this show uh, because many of the fans probably out there have already looked it up and they've already seen that show from July 29th, 1978. But I'm real cover enough of it to those who didn't get a chance to watch it. I still think you get the idea of what went on. And oddly enough, it was the best. It was the last TV uh, strangely enough, in the July 1978 rating period. So the only remaining show in five years of operation happened to be during the rating period. And, uh, and this had enough quality and enough great matches in it to uh, certainly be, it was put together very well. So it opened with Rip Smith, who had become a star over the past few months. And he was wrestling the man who had just returned to Knoxville, gorgeous George Jr., so after Les ran down the TV card and the cameras backed away, Rip was sitting there with Les. 
and the other occasional commentator, Phil Rainey, who was also the announcer for the TV show. And uh, it was Rip's first time ever to get that uh, that, that uh, honor of uh, opening the show and uh, having a match behind them uh, on the big screen. So that match would have would be watching. It made it quite clear that Gigi was not familiar with Rip Smith, <laughs> and uh, and he was totally unprepared for him. That's for sure. In fact, he lost the match middle of the ring, no doubt about it. Rip Smith was becoming a great star. And then uh, after it was over, he got very upset and he jumped Rip and he drug him over and he dumped him uh, on a six-foot drop, man, off uh, into what we called the pit back in the day. Oh. You know, and it was where the big, huge ringside platform ended and suddenly dropped off. And uh, at the bottom of that drop was where the big, giant grandstand at the amphitheater ended up. Yeah, yeah. So it had never happened before. Nobody had been dropped off into the pit before. Uh, but now it uh, it involved both Rip and Gorgeous George Jr. and it put him right into the loser lead main event the following Friday night because uh, Rip Smith's going to end up second in my brother and Gorgeous George Jr. is going to end up as manager for Don Carson. So when the opening ended, the Southeastern Tag Champions Condrey and Higgerson, presented by Ron Wright, entered the ring versus Kevin Sullivan and Ted Allen. And uh, Wright's team showed why they were the champions, man. Their teamwork enabled them to beat Ted Allen in a way not seen much at that time. And uh, certainly not in today's time. You never see anybody uh, lose by submitting to, uh, to being just punished to pieces. So they focused entirely on one body part. They punished his arm, man. And they stuck to it. And they kept him in their corner. They did all the great things that tag teams did. They kept him right in their corner. They blocked him from tagging Sullivan uh, whenever he had the opportunity, and they just stayed on that arm until he could take no more. And uh, like I said, man, uh, he gave up, and it was a rare ending to a tag match, but it really proved what a true teamwork could do and what a true team these two guys made. Then Golden and Root joined Lester to set. And they watched a video of Ron Wright winning another one for his team by passing an object to Phil Hickerson when the referee wasn't looking. And uh, Golden and Rupert lost several times in that manner against this team. They had a lot of championship opportunities, but Ron Wright seemed to be the difference. So it seemed they could use a man in their corner as well. And uh, that's going to be something that's coming up later in the show. So Bob Root, Jimmy, and his father, Bill Golan, were on the first interview. So uh, some may have been a little confused about this TV show when they watched it, that matches from Hazard, Kentucky, were mentioned so often in the show. And as I've often said, the TV shows were bicycle from one station to another television station. And the four interviews in each show for each TV station were cut earlier on Saturday mornings right before you you did the actual television show uh, for Southeastern. So then those, then that tape was sent out the following Monday to the appropriate TV stations, and the interviews that were cut were sent to those same stations. Those stations inserted the interviews in the proper slot, and then they aired them all at the following Saturday. Uh, obviously, this show was recorded by someone who's recorded off of the Hazard TV station. So because the interviews were advertising the upcoming hazard card. So uh, 
know, I, that might explain to the people that didn't understand why is this wrestling in Knoxville, but they're, they're plugging Hazard, Kentucky. So after the first interview, Roop and Golden were in the second match of the show. And they were wrestling against Abdul Zatar and a guy named Lucky Davis. And uh, you could see Golden and Roop were also a great team, man. And, uh, wow, they got themselves a very good win in this one. Both of them got a, got a pin. Uh, Don Carson and the great Malenko won a second interview. And that interview was from the Knoxville TV show. And uh, it covered Marstown, Tennessee, which was a local city close to Knoxville that ran on Saturday nights. So a um, little confusion if you hadn't seen that show before, but what was actually happening. So next on the program was the personality profile. It was a long one. It had interviews from several wrestlers. And it was done before Jimmy Golden knew that his father put up his own hair on the line to get Jimmy and Ruth that chance to win the tag belts. So, uh, and uh, that was very strange. Uh, watching that, Jimmy was kind of blown away when Les uh, put his uh, recording of his father on there saying that, Jimmy, I, I know I haven't talked to you about this, but <laughs> I put up my hair <laughs> so that you guys can get another shot. Yeah. And uh, wow, Jimmy took it pretty took it pretty badly, man. He, it was it was really it was really 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 a great program and uh, great to see Jimmy's face when he found out that his dad was risking his hair yeah. to give him the yeah. belts. <laughs> you can imagine how that feels, right? Yeah, you know, for real. Dad did something like that for you. That's a pretty big step. So then Malenko joined Les to talk about his desire for Russian death matches and his uh, Russian chain matches, and specifically. And he talked a little about his plans uh, to make the promoters have to do it. He had hired attorneys. Uh, and then Don Carson showed a video of his losing his hair, uh, the match before. And, uh, and all they showed is after he lost the match was the beginning of the cutting of his hair. So, you know, he uh, nobody had seen him yet at this point. He had a hat on when he was doing this. And you couldn't see what he looked like now. And then finally, Rob was talking about the importance of the upcoming now was a loser lead town match between him and Carson the following Friday night and how important it was and how he had already spent six months gone uh, from something similar to it. And, and uh, he didn't want to spend any more time out of it. Then next was the match with the biggest pop of the show. Uh, Rip Smith was up against Gorgeous George Jr. And Don Carson was in. Uh, gorgeous George Jr.'s corner. He was managing it. And uh, Carson had done the entire show with at this point with a hat on. And he never wore a hat before. So it, it's pretty obvious that he was a little bit embarrassed about his new look, maybe. And and at the end of this match, uh, Carson was forced to try to get in the ring to keep Gorgeous George from getting beat right in the middle again like he had been the night before. But uh, – and he wanted to get to Smith before he could do the, any damage to Gigi. And uh, Rob was standing, I guess, in the edge of the studio watching to see what Carson was going to do. And when that happened, Rob ran in the ring. And he didn't do anything other than knock Carson's hat off his head. <laughs> and wow. <laughs> I mean, that was the biggest pop of the TV show. And, and it was the first time, you know, the, those at home had ever seen Don Carson ball. Yeah, you know he right. always had that yeah. blonde, blonde locks, man. Yes, sir. Wow, <laughs> it was. He, so he had 
had so much heat, and I'm sure fans all across the southeastern area where they saw this had a huge pop at home, man. I could, I bet the that people were screaming like crazy everywhere, enjoying Carson's pain. So then Carson and the Mongolian Stopper were on a third interview in the show, and it began with plug-in matches in Hazard, Kentucky, again. And then the final match of the show was the one-man gang, man, the fist to stone, Ronnie Garvin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, wow, he was still on fire there, man, in the territory. And I realized that when I watched the show again, wow, he was so over. And and if you got to see this TV, you could obviously tell Garvin was all business. I mean, he went to the ring. He, he wasn't there to play. He was there to, he was there to hurt people. And, uh, and he was on top of his game at this time. And everything he did to his opponent hurt, that's for sure because I was in the ring with him many times and know that uh, he had a way of really causing you some pain. And the show ended with interviews from the great Malenko and Ronnie Garvin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought, man, and watching it, it was just another of the great TV Southeastern was famous for. I'll tell you what, it was certainly a, a treat seeing that last existing Southeastern TV show. As I mentioned earlier, I was just as impressed with the technology in the show as the wrestler. So tell us a, a little bit about the bells and whistles that we saw in the background of this TV show, because it was unlike anything that had been seen at that time. Yes, uh, for sure. And in fact, uh, it opened up with something that had never been seen anywhere. Uh, we spent the money to have a company uh, do an animated opening for us had music behind it, first of its kind in wrestling history. And the wrestling characters in the animation were moving in the, during the animation, and they ended up locking up in the shape of the company's logo. So uh, it, it, it was a pretty unique opening. Nobody else had one like it. And then, uh, and then the set, kind of the set. Let's just talk about the set itself. Uh, it had three sides to it with three different backgrounds. Each side had its own background, and the show opened up, this particular show opened up with that big still shot behind Les, uh, Rip and Phil were sitting there with him, and if you were in the studio and you were looking at the set, you only saw a dark blue set, but if you looked over at the monitors in the studio, you saw an actual huge photo there. So when the video ran, it, it was all seen at home through the miracle of television chroma key, man. We were the only people in the country that were doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, no one other than us uh, had ever used this technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it was really, it was really almost breathtaking stuff. I mean, you know, what we were doing is, wow, so far ahead of other places. So, uh, and then less to change the set, all he had to do was simply step on a button that was under the desk in front of it, and the set would turn automatically from one side to the another side. And on the second side, it was part of the show, it was done with the second side, uh, was the Southeastern Championship Wrestling in big white letters across the orange color of the University of Tennessee background, which that made sense for Knoxville for sure. And the third side, had big photos of, of stars all across it. Hmm. So set was pretty unique. Uh, every match had an instant replay. So, and we were the first wrestling show in the world wow. to do instant replay. Yeah. 
So, you know, and it wasn't long before everybody was doing it, but we were the absolute first. And then there were these little 10 second bumpers after each interview that had this, we had this world famous wrestling statue that we had purchased and uh, it was set on a revolving turntable, had music uh, on it in the background. And, uh, and that these, these bumpers were used by no other show in the world. But man, they were like everything else. They were soon copied by wrestling companies worldwide. Then we had a personality profile. That was another creation of ours. Mm-hmm. And it was used by many companies as time went by. And it had its own animation open and close. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so wow, it was, uh, and then not seen on this particular show uh, was the Vitafont. Uh, and uh, the Vitafont we used to use at the very beginning of the interview before Les started talking to the wrestlers, he would read the card and it would show the card in real time as he read it. And it displayed the names of the wrestlers on the screen. So you not only heard who was on the card, you actually got to see the card and read mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So we were the first to do that also. And uh, as, as I said about the others, it was soon copied by most everybody else. Oh, no doubt, because what you guys were doing was going to be done everywhere by everyone. Even the ending, I thought, even the ending of the show was cool, Ron. You had a black background, a white silhouetted wrestling figure or figures taken from the actual matches on the show rolled while the credits ran. I thought that was really cool. No wonder Southeastern won so many awards for its TV production. Watching this Southeastern TV show from 1978 stud really verifies the similarity between the actual TV shows and the way you describe them each week on Studcast. So what happened six nights later in the amphitheater? Everything was building up to this. Well, Gorgeous Stewart Jr. beat Steve Kyle. Uh, Rip Smith won over Hans Schroeder. Hans wasn't going to be in, uh, in America long. Uh, he had gained a lot of weight. He wasn't the wrestler. He was in 1973, so I think this was one of his first uh, and maybe um, few matches that he had for Southeast. Uh, Kevin Sullivan won by disqualification over the great Malenko, uh, and he won because Boris somehow had put his ring, his chain underneath the ring earlier in the night, and uh, he crawled underneath the ring during the match and brought out his chain, and he used it on Kevin. So obviously he got disqualified. Uh, so then Ronnie Garvin won by disqualification over the Mongolian Stomper, who was managed by Don Carson. And then the Stomper was disqualified because Malenko came to the ring and he brought his chain back and he used it a second time during that night on Ronnie Garvin. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, Malenko, he was having a real big night, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and what he did was going to open the door for Malenko and Garvin to begin the bloodiest series of matches between the two, maybe of all time for Southeastern Knoxville, man. Uh, they were about to start into a long, long program against each other. Wow. Jimmy Golden and Bob Root won the Southeastern tag belts. Gosh, uh, Bill didn't lose his hair. Uh, they beat, obviously, Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson. And Jimmy's father, uh, Bill, did not, not only did he not lose his hair, mm-hmm. but he neutralized Ron Wright for the win. He actually <laughs> helped them win by stopping Ron Wright from causing them to lose. Perfect. Yeah. So Robert Fuller beat Don Carson 
and ended Don's great southeastern run, man. He had undoubtedly been on one of the best hills in southeastern Knoxville history. And uh, he was going to soon be uh, coming back to a territory that was very familiar with him. Oh, no doubt. So what about the attendance for this one? And since we just talked about Don Carson and his now shiny knobby head, can you tell us uh, that story before the break? Yeah, man. Uh, well, we had 6,200 fans, man, uh, on that night in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, wow, another one over 6,000, bigger than what we could put in the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Uh, big, big crowds, man. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to tell the Don Carson story before the break. Uh, this is where you guys were checking in a hotel? Yeah, we were okay. checking in a hotel in Dothan, Alabama. Right. This is a few <laughs> weeks after he had lost his hair. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I was a heel. And he was a heel. And so, uh, you know, we were traveling together. We had traveled from Knoxville down there. And he was all the way there. He kept complaining about, Ron, I feel so. I don't feel right about myself. And he was so down and depressed because he, because he had a bald head. <laughs> and uh, so, and yeah. I kind of ribbed him about it. I made it even worse. Oh, yeah, you do look pretty bad, Don, you know, whatever I could say. <laughs> just uh, crank him up a little more. Yeah. So we get down there to the circle in Dothan, and it's a Friday night, uh, you know, uh, and uh, it's actually, uh, I think it was Friday afternoon because we were going to wrestle that night, and then we were going to spend the night because we did TVs there on Saturday. And so most of the wrestlers stayed in this same hotel. It was on the circle in Dothan. And we came up to check in. And uh, I I was in front of him. And he's standing behind me and waiting on me to get finished. And uh, there was one lady behind the desk. And uh, and she's kind of uh, taking care of me, but she's kind of leaning out and looking Mm -hmm. at at Don behind me, right? (laughs) And I catch it. You know, I see what's going on. And uh, so, you know, and then it discontinues. I may take three or four or five minutes, a little more maybe to, uh, you know, register and uh, get set up. And then finally it was Don's turn. So I moved off to the side and Don stepped up there to the lady. And she says to him, uh, she looks at him. Really, just you know, right square in the eyes, man. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and kind of down to his waist and back up to his head. And she says, "You know," she goes, uh, "You know, Don, Don." She's, "I know who you are," because <laughs> it had been quite a while since Don had been in that territory. Mm-hmm. And she says, "I know who you are, Don." She goes, "You know, I, I got to tell you something," <laughs> and I'm standing there. And uh, he goes, okay, yeah, what? And she goes, she goes, you know, you have always been ugly, but you are ugly now. (laughs) 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 And that's exactly what I did, what you did. I was like, like, oh, Don's head dropped. (laughs) I've been on him for for four hours. of getting down there and now he's just getting it from the you, lady that's checking us in. You couldn't have paid her 20 bucks to do any better than that. Wow. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> that's awesome. Poor Don. His life had dramatically changed with the loss of his hair. 
All right. So, and listen, he had, as you know, and you're alluding to, he, he was pretty familiar to the Dothan market. So I guess he kind of deserved that one. All right. So we're going to take our break right here. Let's do it. I think it's a good time. We'll come back with what was happening in Southeastern Gulf Coast and then find out how your Wiregrass Tough Man contest did 44 years ago and you had never put anything on like this or even seen a show like this. That's pretty intriguing. We'll talk about that when we come back on this Studcast. All right, Studcast fans, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com is worth every penny at $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. It's become one of the most popular places to find your old school wrestling and true history of the sport. The Stud is putting together a classic combination of old school TV shows from Southeastern, Continental, and USA. The largest collection anywhere of these three companies' TVs that the stud alone was responsible for producing. Subscribe today and enjoy old school wrestling forever at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. All right, Studcast fans, welcome back once again. Another exciting Studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Episode number 263 underway called Tennessee Loser Leaves Gulf Coast Karate Match. So let's find out where we're riding now, stud. Tell us what's going on. Well, we're headed 500 miles south, man, to Mobile, Alabama's Expo Hall, right down there on the Gulf Coast. Uh, and it's going to be, we're going to talk about Tuesday night, August the 8th, 1978. Uh, totally different crew, totally different territory. Uh, and the first match uh, is going to be a newcomer there, Mike Hendricks, against uh, Eddie Mansfield. Uh, Norville Austin in just his second week in southeastern Gulf Coast is going to be taking on the very popular Charlie Cook. These guys are going to have some great matches against each other. Mike Stallings was going head-to-head against David Schultz in a Texas death match. And in a Gulf Coast championship match, I was going to be defending my belt against the fast-rising star, man. He was headed for true stardom, Tony Charles. And in a Gulf Coast Tag championship match. The champions, assassins managed by Billy Spears, were taking on Ricky Gibson, and Ricky had himself a mystery partner. So uh, fans are going to know who the mystery partner is by the time they head to the building, but we'll get to that in just a minute. So in the main event, Bob Armstrong was meeting the United States karate champion, Ron Slinker, and it was an NWA non-sanctioned karate match where karate was legal and I was going to be in Slinker's corner. Okay. So, uh, really another great card, Ron, a non sanctioned NWA karate match, two championship matches, plus a Texas death match. Let's talk about the TV now that set all this up. The one that promoted it in the last week of the rating period, we're talking July of 78. Other than the finals of the TV championship tournament, Yep, uh, you know, uh, that, which is obviously on the show. Mm-hmm. We had had mm-hmm. a month-long tournament, and the finals are in this last Saturday of that month. So Charlie Platt and Gordon Soley, they opened up the show, and again, they had the big, huge championship trophy set between them, and they announced that the finals were going to be on the last match of the show. It was going to be Tony Charles against David Schultz, and then they jumped back to the beginning of the show. And uh, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, 
Bob Armstrong was going to open it up. And a newcomer, Norville Austin, was going to get his first TV match on Southeastern Gulf Coast in this show. Tony Charles was the guest on the personality profile. Then there's a Gulf Coast Championship tag match uh, between the champion assassins managed by Billy Spears with Ricky Gibson and the wrestling pro, Leon Baxter, who is a great wrestler, as you know, being from that area. So uh, then the show would end with Tony Charles versus David Schultz uh, vying for the Gulf Coast TV trophy and the championship. Mm. So mm -hmm. the fans always loved him, man. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, you know, the Bob Armstrong started it off, you know, and uh, wow. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and, and he got a roar from the crowd as always. And Ron Sleeker and I went to the set with both of the commentators and we made some pretty catty comments about the upcoming non-sanctioned NWA karate match and how Mr. Goody Two-Shoes had bitten off a lot more this time than he's going to be able to chew. And uh, and while we're saying all that and uh, and running him down, Bob Armstrong was kicking butt in the ring, man, taking care of business, and uh, he made pretty quick work of his opponent. But Swinker and I, at the, at the end of it, before Bob could get out of the ring, we both jumped in the ring and we kind of pinned him up, man. And just as his match was finishing, and uh, we'd we'd intended to go after him, but he backed away, man, into a ring corner, and uh, mm. and then he broke down into this wow, very threatening man, Marine training karate man stance. Uh -oh. uh -huh. and, uh, wow, neither one of us wanted to run in and get some of that. <laughs> he was ready, man. Like, come on. I'm going to tear y'all up. And so, so the studio crowd went absolutely nuts, man. <laughs> they saw that he knew some karate for sure. And then I got out of the ring and, uh, and I barely, you know, <laughs> and then I had to pull old Ron Slinker out. He was kind of ready to go ahead. Let's go for it, man. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was kind of a little high spot that got the crowd set, man, for great TVs. what it did. It really got things off to a great start. Then Armstrong Slinker and I made the first interview about the significance of the first non-sanctioned NWA event in Southeastern Gulf Coast history. Mm -hmm. uh, and they had... A lot of territories had these non-sanctioned uh, NWA events. Mm -hmm. Most of them were lights-out matches. But in this one's case, it was a karate match, and the NWA did not sanction karate matches. Right. So then Norvell was in the second TV match, and he gave the fans, man, a good look at a wrestler that could do it all. And basically, Norvell really could do it all. And uh, in the early part of this match, he showed his wrestling skills. Uh, takedowns, uh, wow, uh, hammerlocks, a bunch of uh, chain moves from one move to another to another. Uh, but then he finished it, man, with a series of rule-breaking maneuvers, man, uh, and then a tremendous hit. But, wow, I thought he headbutted, his head went halfway through the guy's head. And uh, bad enough that it knocked the guy out, and we had to carry him. They had to go get him and carry him out of the ring after it was over. Uh, then Tony Charles was on the personality profile with Charlie and Gordon, and uh, they watched a great TV special, one that we had produced in Knoxville's TV station, WBIR, and uh, it was about Tony Charles work, doing his workouts, the things he did to train. And uh, his workouts, were based around these Hindu clubs, were just a phenomenal 
that workout. I used to go over and try to do these Hindu clubs that he used. And uh, wow, it, it just was, a, it was a, it was not only something that wore you out, it built your upper body so strong. Uh, it was a great, great exercise. Very few people in the world did it and he was capable of it. And then he was a runner. He ran all the time. So he had legendary endurance training, man. I mean, he was, he was in tremendous shape. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, obviously, uh, about halfway through this profile, out comes David Schultz. And David Schultz is on the last match against Tony Charles, wrestling for the TV championship. And, uh, and knowing David, as, as most people do, he went right straight, broke into the conversation, and they wanted to know why he wasn't on the profile. <laughs> and, you know, and he said, especially since, you know, I'm going to win the TV trophy in this show. He goes, why, why I'm not, I'm not out here talking to you guys. And uh, so Tony got up. He was a little upset. Didn't blame him. You know, none mm -hmm. of the <laughs> Schultz's business to be there. And, uh, you know, they were about to start that championship match right there on the floor between between Gordon and Charlie, but uh, <laughs> it kind of forced Gordon and Charlie to shut the profile down early. You know, they said, "Oh God, we just get out of this." Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. I, I think if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's the first time I can remember somebody interrupting a personality profile, and it would make sense that somebody that somebody would be David Schultz. I mean, it just <laughs> sounds like him. So I yeah. think the next match was going to be the Gulf Coast Tag Championship match. Am I on that? Yeah, that's correct, man. It <laughs> sure was. And, uh, and and before this one started, Ricky Gibson came to the set, and he watched a video from Montgomery, Alabama, where he had had his last match against Wildman Fargo. And uh, and he, he, he really hurt Fargo in this match, and Fargo was no longer able to wrestle in the southeastern Gulf Coast. It was uh, Don Fargo's last match. Uh, in Southeastern uh, during that time frame. Now he's going to, he'll finally get well and he'll be back, but it's going to be a long time before he comes back. Uh, Charlie and Gordon asked, both of them asked Ricky about his mystery partner because the card said he was going to have a risky risk, a mystery partner. And, uh, you know, they asked and wanted to know who it was. Uh, and uh, he made no comment. Uh, but about the time he made no comment, uh, old loudmouth Billy Spears and his assassins jumped in the ring. He was still at the set, and before the video was just finishing up, they started challenging Ricky to get this championship match that he had coming today. The one you got today here, you get in here and let's get this finished. So uh, then the wrestling pro, Leon Baxter, who was a big fan favorite, as you know, in that part of the country. Yeah. And in this match, going to be Ricky's partner. He came to the set and he got Ricky after the video was good, already done. And uh, they kept in the ring and uh, and that match got started. And wow, what a great tag match they had. Uh, and they were very close to winning the belts, uh, Ricky and uh, and both the pro, many times during the course of that match. Uh, but then finally the Assassins uh, shot the pro over the top rope. And, uh, and he landed hard, and you could see because he landed on the side of the ring where mm -hmm. the fans weren't, right yeah. in front of the cameras, you could see he kind of landed uh, real awkwardly on the concrete. Oh. So the referee obviously disqualified the assassins because that wasn't the 
But that wasn't the end of it, you know. Billy Spears uh, went over and started stomping the pro who was laying there, and he's he's not able to get up. He's in the, he's hurt, and uh, and then his men, while that was going on, were double teaming Ricky up there, and the bell was ringing, and the referee was trying to get control, and then and then uh, Spears uh, sent the referee. Spears got in and started stomping Ricky too, and he sent the referee over the top rope. And now all three of them are stomping, stomping on Ricky. And uh, you know, there and and I got to thinking about it. There's been very little, almost no talk about Robert Gibson since his injury on TV, which happened five weeks earlier on that TV show there, five weeks, and uh, and he got hit with a chair. He got rocked with a chair, man, and uh, got a serious concussion out of it. So Ricky's mystery partner was the next man seen in the studio. Robert Gibson was back in the dressing room. Nobody knew he was there. And he charged the room, the ring man. And, uh, and when he did, the roof came off the studio. Wow, the crowd just erupted. And the assassins and spears, they, they didn't stay there long. They took a powder, basically, before he could get a hand on them almost. <laughs> Then the third interview was done live. It was done with the assassins and Billy Spears in the studio. And it was done at the set and it went everywhere in the territory. It wasn't split with the, with the other team. They were going to be wrestling as usual. And Spears played it, you know, he, he parlayed his concern and they, you know, played upon his, uh, his, 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 his almost a, his faked concern, I guess it'd be a good word for it about Robert Gibson saying, you know, it's, he got hurt really bad, and he, he, he hadn't been out long for a person with a concussion. And, you know, uh, are you serious? Is he serious about bringing him back, his brother, and let him get in there with us? I mean, you know, he was making all these excuses, trying to make sure, make people think that Gibson wasn't ready. Maybe mm-hmm. even trying to make uh, Robert think that he wasn't ready. Right. <laughs> so the last TV match was the huge Southeastern Gulf Coast TV championship trophy setting in the ring, Tony Charles against David Schultz. It, it was spectacular, man. Uh, when you think about it, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm thinking, you know, uh, they were two of the greatest wrestlers in the world at that time and, uh, and forever. Uh, and I think both of them are in the Hall of Fame, to be honest with you. And Tony Charles came away with the win. And uh, when he did, all the baby faces came from the dressing room. And they all came in the ring. They congratulated him, man. They put him on their shoulders. Uh, he left with the big trophy was presented to him. He left. It was. It had been a tremendous one-month TV tournament. And then the show ended with the Gibson brothers back together again on the last interview and promising the fans they were going to be the next Southeastern Gulf Coast Tag Team champ. <laughs> Man, that's a great TV show. It's becoming harder each week to decide which of the two TV shows is better. I don't remember the Southeastern Gulf Coast TV shows using some of the bells and whistles that was happening in Southeastern Knoxville. Am I correct on that, or was there a reason for that? What's the deal there? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, and, and and you pretty pretty sharp to have picked up on that. Uh, yes, there was a little difference. Uh, the WTVY Dothan station was unaccustomed to this format. You know, they'd had uh, mm-hmm. Gulf Coast shows. Uh, they'd been producing wrestling shows there for many many years. Yeah, but yeah. our format was a little more complicated, and it was filled with these technical. Uh, 
things that needed to be put up at a certain time frame. And, yeah. uh, and uh, so the TV docent station was not as didn't have the same equipment that the WBIR TV station in Knoxville had. And uh, that made a little bit of difficulty for them to do the uh, instant replays, as an example. A lot mm-hmm. of the technical things that were in the show, mm-hmm. it took a while for it to happen. So about two years later, in the early nineteen, in early nineteen eighty, uh, when basically uh, all of us are going to be leaving uh, Knoxville and moving down to Pensacola, uh, we began to move things from the Knoxville TV station down to Dothan. And uh, that three-sided set that I talked about was one of the first things we moved. And then mm-hmm. Wayne Register, who was the director of the Dothan Show, great, red, great guy, yep. and excellent at job. Uh, by the time we got the new set and he and they got some better equipment, man, he started producing these excellent shows. Man, he was yeah. getting it all pieced together. So it started changing, and it got much better from 1980 on. Oh, Wayne was one of the best. And even if he had never seen some of this, he was going to be one of the first to learn it and learn it before anybody else could pick up on it. He was really one of the best. So let's talk about the results of this card promoted on the TV that we just talked about. Well, Mike Hendricks and Eddie Mansfield, they wrestled to a 20-minute time limit draw. I watched that match, and geez, uh, the Hendricks had a had a little bit of had a little bit of ability, and uh, Mansfield was pretty pretty far along in his game at that point. Norville Austin got a win over Charlie Cook, uh, and it was his first win over Charlie Cook. Uh, they're going to have some tremendous matches. Mike Stallings uh, survived the Texas Death Match with David Schultz, and that's about all you could say about that match. He survived it. He managed somehow. For sure, it's not to be able to get up. I don't know. They were both down so many times in that match. I thought uh, nobody was going to win. And then uh, I was disqualified. My Gulf Coast Championship match with Tony Charles. And uh, I threw him over the top rope right in front of the referee. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, sad to say, and I'm not trying to, uh, to get out of the fact that I did it on purpose, man, to save my belt. Uh, Tony Charles was a tremendous wrestler. Uh, and I think uh, that all the times I wrestled Tony, uh, I think he he tried harder than he did for regular guys because I was so much taller and bigger than he was. And I think it gave him uh, more impetus and more desire to win. And so so then uh, Ricky and Robert Gibson, they won the Southeastern Gulf Coast Tag Team Belts. And it was for the second time uh, in the history of those belts. They had won it actually three months earlier when we had the original tag team tournament that uh, established the belts. Uh, so then Bob Armstrong proved he was a better man at karate and just about everything else when it came to competition with Ron Slinker. And uh, in fact, he proved it so well, I had to carry Ron Slinker from the ring over <laughs> my shoulder back to the dressing room after Armstrong finished with it. Wow. Okay. All right, so how about the attendance in Mobile that night? Well, we managed to get another 100 more fans in the Expo Hall than the week before. Remember two weeks uh, two weeks earlier? Yeah. We were up there over 6,000, and uh, we had 5,300 last week in Expo, and somehow we squeezed in another 100 more. Uh-huh. We had 5,400 in there this time. Wow. Hey, I, I've been wanting to, uh, I've been waiting on this, and I've been wanting to ask. 
about your idea to promote a tough man contest, having never seen one before. So you had never seen it, but you liked the concept and you said, we're not only going to do it, we're going to get TV ads to promote this thing. So what was this thing like? This, wh what were you thinking here? Well, I, I'm going <laughs> to back up to the very beginning. Okay. So, uh, so, yeah, I had never seen anything like it and never heard of one. And, uh, and this all began in May of 1978. It began on the last time that I wrestled in Knoxville on the card of May the 12th, 1978, against the Stomper. And I had gone home, uh, and I was going to be there for two days, I think. And I was watching TV, and all of a sudden, this 30-second commercial came on that was promoting a Tough Man contest in Knoxville a week later. And I was just captivated by it. I mean, it showed these little brief segments of matches. Uh, some of the guys were boxing. Some of them were wrestling. Some were using judo, and, and, and some were even using karate. I mean, the fights were real, man, and the fans in the crowd were really into it. So, uh, you know... I, I, I instantly decided I can do I can do I can promote one of these. You know, anybody can do this. It's just bringing in a bunch of guys that think they're tough, putting them together and finding out who is. So, you know, the commercials uh, were running on WBIR, same station that we ran our wrestling program on in Knoxville. So I went down before I left and I found Bill Kincaid, the director of the show there. And I had him make me a copy of just the action part of the commercial. I didn't want the part telling you about where it's going to be or any of that. I just wanted to get the action part of it. And uh, so when I went back to Pensacola, the first Friday after that, when I went to Dothan again, I scheduled the event. I went to the Houston County Farm Center uh, and I, I had him uh, I actually uh, uh went in and talked to them, which I don't normally do, but I figured, you know, uh, heck, uh, they don't know I'm the head of the wrestling, but, you know, they, I, do, they, I don't think it's going to hurt me to go in and tell them I want to do a tough man contest. So I scheduled the event with the Farm Center, and I scheduled it for Saturday night, August the 5th, 1978, almost two months later. And uh, so I began to promote it, man, on the 1st of July, 1978. But as always, you know, I tried to let nobody know that much who was really behind it. Just those people with the farm farm board and the farm center there would know about it. So I used all kinds of advertising for it. You're right. I used everything. Posters. I used wrestling posters, but I used them in a different way. I didn't put pictures of wrestlers on them. I used the posters to recruit the athletes to compete in, you know, and uh, advertise what they were going to win. Uh, then I ran newspaper ads in the month of July. I ran TV spots. I ran radio. And I like everybody else, man. Uh, and, you know, when I talked to the guys at the farm center about it, I said, I want to have a tough man contest. And they went, a what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of like I did mm -hmm. when I saw it. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> what are you talking about? So I kind of explained it to them. And, you know, and that part of the country down there, I don't know if a lot of people are aware of it, but uh, there's a nickname for that area down there. Uh, and, it, and for its grass, it's called a wire grass. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I had to pick a name, you know, and I decided that I'm going to call it the wire grass tough man contest. There you go. So got it set up. I started advertising it. Uh, 
And then the night before the event in the same building, <laughs> um, my wrestling company had a card there. We wrestled there the night before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the crowd was just over 4,000 for the wrestling uh, on August the 4th. So the next night, I didn't wrestle, obviously. But instead, man, I showed up down there at the event, and I kind of coordinated the Wiregrass Tough Man contest. Hmm. I used the company's wrestling ring, but uh, <laughs> I hadn't given it a whole lot of thought. But, uh, you know, I had to put concrete blocks underneath it because the wrestling ring has got some spring in it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, for an event like this, it's like a boxing thing and a, a karate thing. Uh, you need to have a good, solid surface. So I put concrete blocks underneath the wrestling ring that I had. It was like a rock, man. It was horribly, it was just terrible. Yeah, you yeah. took a bump in there. Yeah. You went down, you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> and then I had three judges for it, Dave, and, and I was one of the judges. Oh, really? Uh, it, n- yeah. Okay, who else helped you out with the judging? Well, I had another another two guys that had been introduced to me by Charlie Platt. Charlie Platt announced it. Right, uh, right. And they helped me uh, do a lot of things with it. In fact, he helped me put the concrete blocks underneath the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, had three three judges uh, and quality people. I mean, not anything to do with wrestling. I had nobody yeah. there that had anything to do with wrestling. I remember the TV spots. I remember the radio spots. I remember a lot about this. I was not able to attend the event, but then I heard it was very well attended. It really sounds like a major event and a lot of hard work. How many fighters in all did you have that signed up for this? Well, we could have probably had 40, but, uh, you know, I kind of looked at them and uh, so did uh, I had a great referee. That refereed the entire event. Wow, he was so professional, and mm-hmm. he helped me pick them, you know. And uh, so we pared it down to 16, 16 athletes, and uh, and each one of those guys, Dave had a different style. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all weighed different amounts. We didn't try to match them according to weight. In fact, uh, we we drew we brought them all into a big room about uh, thirty minutes before mm-hmm. the event started, and they pulled. Numbers out of a hat. Oh, wow. See who was going to wrestle who. Okay, so no. Who, who was going to fight who. It wasn't yeah. a wrestling match. Yeah. Was, they were fighting. It was a tough man uh, contest. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and then each match was three falls and uh, three minutes each. Wow, okay. Uh, so, and you could do anything you wanted, except you couldn't gouge a person's eyes, and you couldn't win with a chokehold. Hmm. Uh, you could win by knockout, by submission, uh uh, or you could win by the judges' score. If the match was a draw, then the judges would give a score, it and uh, and you could move on that way. So it's a big tournament. Yeah, sixteen yeah. people in the tournament. Uh, the winner got a thousand dollars. Second place got five hundred, and the third place got two fifty. So that's interesting, drawing from a hat because you might have a big, who knows, three hundred pound farm guy versus maybe. Uh, bodybuilding 200 pounder that might take on each other, or they might be somebody even smaller in the race. So that's, that's pretty wild. So what were the matches like? 
Well, that's that's where my concern was when I, you know, when I was piecing it together as the man of what if what if they're not good matches and it, it, right, people right. don't like it, you know? Yeah. Because I had, like I said, I'd never seen it. I'd never seen an actual event. I didn't even know how the crowds reacted to this. So I didn't know what to expect. But uh, but wow, the matches were great. Uh, after the first round, which had eight matches in it, the fans started to pick their favorite. You know, because you've got the second round's going to have four matches in it. The third round had two matches in it. And then the two last people were in the fourth time. They had to wrestle four times. They had to compete. It keeps saying wrestling, but they were not wrestling. They, right, were, right. they were fighting. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, uh, so the fans started to pick their favorites. And, uh, you know, when the pairing started for the second round, uh, that made things even better in the second round than it was in the first. Fans now are beginning to cheer one guy as compared to another. And, uh, yeah. and then, Dave, I got really lucky. Hmm. Uh, two guys in this just really stood out. One of them was a boxer from Dothan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other was this little fire plug of a guy that was a natural heel. And I gosh. And, and he used karate which was a, a quite a coincidence since the night before Bob Armstrong and Ron Slinker had had a karate match, you know, and yeah. here's this guy using karate. So this little guy had his own unusual style, man. He would turn his back to an opponent, to his opponent, mm-hmm. and would walk in circles with his back turned, and then he would try these kicks, and he would try these th- karate thrusts. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'll never forget, he was from Weewa Hitchka, Florida, man. Weewa. Weewa Hitchka. <laughs> yeah, okay. So uh, so as this event progressed, man, the boxer from Dothan was roundly cheered each time he went back for another match. And uh, and the Weewa Hitchka, Florida guy was booed, man. I mean, uh, he downright booed. He yeah, had this yeah. real cocky style and attitude. You know, you you wanted to dislike the guys. Like, yeah, I, I don't like this guy. You know, and neither did the fans. <laughs> so, uh, so then these two guys end up in the final. Wow! And okay. they fought into the third round. And I mean, that building was going crazy. It was going <laughs> nuts, man. And uh, and then when this boxer finally landed his big punch, man, and the Florida guy went <laughs> down, man, knocked him cold. Wow! It was the biggest pop I think I ever heard in that building. Holy cow! So were they were they uh, were they bare knuckles? Were they wearing gloves? Were did they have headgear? What was that like? The the uh, boxer was wearing no gloves. No, he didn't wear gloves, but he was punching. He was boxing. Okay. You know, and uh, and the Florida guy was uh, obviously using karate, and he so, had nothing on his hands as well. So they did. They were not required to have any sort of gloves or headgear or anything like that for safety. No. Wow. So no, this is this it's, is just it's, it's just um, it, you know <laughs> it's very dangerous. All out. Yeah. Very dangerous of it. This is backyard fights in the center of the farm center. There you go. Holy cow! All right, it sounds like the action part was a huge success. So, what about ticket sales? You had to. I, it was the talk of the town. So, how'd you do? We did five thousand people. Dave. Wow. The farm center was packed. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, 
I was I was blown away. <laughs> I was like, gee, Monday, I can't believe this. Right. So you you really drew a thousand more for the tough man contest than for the wrestling. So financially, did it did that part work out for you? Yeah, uh, you know uh, the tough the tough man contest. Uh, like you said, drew more than the wrestling, and uh, and I charged a dollar more for the ticket to the tough man contest than the wrestling. So the wrestling the night before, just to give fans an idea of kind of what the what the actual finances was, the wrestling uh, house from the night before with 4,000 people, and it was about an average $3 ticket price, a little over 4,000 people. It, it was about $13,000 gross. Mm -hmm. The Tough Man contest had a gross of 20000 Wow. So, wow. you know, for the wrestling night, the, we're uh, – I paid the wrestlers four thousand on Friday night uh, for that event, and then uh, on the Saturday night, I paid less than two thousand dollars for the twenty thousand dollar event. Prize money, yeah, That's it. <laughs> and everybody left happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, all the guy that won the money was he was thrilled. He was absolutely wow. thrilled. And the old Weewa Hitchka boy, once he finally came around, you know, he even had a smile or two about his five hundred. 500 bucks walked away after being knocked out. Bang. That, yeah. that is crazy. You made a lot more profit on the tough man deal than the wrestling. So why, why didn't you just start up a tough man business? <laughs> uh, well, uh, off the top of my head, I can think of two reasons, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't, I didn't make a lot more profit from the tough man contest. Uh, the tough man, and the reason was the tough man contest insurance was extremely expensive ah. compared to wrestling. Uh huh. Because, and as you can imagine, you know, the, the dangerous, much more dangerous, much more likely yeah. to have bad injuries, possibly yeah. somebody get killed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or, you know, it might have, I don't know that it didn't happen probably with when they were having these all around the country. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the second reason is the tough man contest would only draw a big crowd like that probably in the same market, maybe only two times a year. Yeah. But yeah. the wrestling was seven nights a week year round. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's every night, you know? So. Wow. I'll tell you what, that's cool. This is, this has been another great stud cast stud. So full of everything we usually get plus a Don Carson story. That's just timeless and an extra ride into the land of tough man contest. I don't know where the time goes, but we're going to have to wait until next week for the next learning tree question. Y'all hang in there. We promise we're going to get to those. On Facebook, the Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page is full of friends. Nobody else can be added on that page, but you can still become friends with Ron. You can go to his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page, like him, follow him there, and you automatically become friends with a legend. On Twitter, follow him at Ron Fuller Welch. The website the TN Stud website of Ron Welch, Ron Fuller, has everything. Great videos, photo gallery, every stud cast ever done. 43, three, three hour, yeah, 43, three hour super stud cast are there. Only $2.99 each, every one, three hours long, and so much to learn, so much value there. Shop his stud store for all kinds of souvenirs, personally autographed photos, t shirts, the thrilling lion novel called 
Brutus. Southeastern Rewind on YouTube, a great place to find up-to-date info on Ron's fantastic streaming channel at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Every week, more things are added. 1979 and 1980 Southeastern TV shows are now there and in order of their release. The first 14 Southeastern TV shows from 1981 in order of their release are being added now with nine more coming soon. More Continental TV shows and another chapter of Brutus is there and so much more. Well over 145 hours of entertainment now. Old school wrestling entertainment. You can't beat it. And it's only the beginning. Subscribe now at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Only $4.99 per month. Or save save big, $39.99 per year. Knock it out one time and you're done. It's the best old school streaming site on the planet. Don't miss this special offer right now for a limited time. Get a free one-week trial on ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. You can't miss it. It's easy to find. All right, stud, that's a lot. I don't know how you keep up with it. So where do we ride next week? We're going to be discussing the week of August 11th, 1978, in both territories and in southeastern Knoxville for the first time ever. There's going to be a Russian chain match between the great Malenko and Ronnie Garvin. And uh, then there's going to be a new tag champions, Jimmy Golden and Bob Root are going to be defend their belts against the former champions, Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson, presented by Ron Wright. And uh, if Wright's team doesn't win, they don't get another shot at the belts for 30 days. Plus, there's going to be an in-depth look at the TV promoting this show, the results of all the matches and the attendance. And then in southeastern Gulf Coast and Dothan, Alabama, the next time, Bob Armstrong is going to demand a title match with me. and I'm going to agree to it but only if he agrees to a lights-out, non-sanctioned, anything-goes match between him and Ron Slanker. And uh, and I make him another promise. Uh, if Armstrong wins, he gets the title match with me. And then the Gibson brothers, the new tag champions, who would only give the assassin the return match for the belt if Billy Spears was barred from ringside. Makes sense. And Spears helped them win the championship. And uh, and I don't think the, they could beat the Gibson boys uh, with Spears not being there. And as part of that same card, David Schultz was getting a shot at the newly won TV trophy of Tony Charles, but the match was going to be in the arena rather than in the studio. So we'll talk about the TV that promoted that card as well as the results of the matches and the attendance. And uh, and to make up, Dave, I'm thinking about it, man, uh, it kind of upsets me with the learning tree. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, we're going to make up for the loss of these two learning tree questions in the last two weeks. Uh, and I hate, hate it that we run out of time again, but mm-hmm. uh, next week we're going to answer two learning tree questions. Cool. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and then, then thanks as always to everyone that listened today and for your support. Uh, and please mention us to your friends and neighbors. Uh, take care of yourselves and others. And may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This Studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud. LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three.
This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.